audio check. Now, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of RX Radio. I am your host, Dr. Richard Waith. And with me, I have in my in my presence, like usually it's phone calls we're making, but this gentleman is here with me at my house. Yes, sir. And I am super excited to bring here Dr. Ruben Santiago. How's it going? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming, man. I'm, I'm Absolutely. really... I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that we're able to to kind of get this, uh, get this episode going. Um, you are a... Emergency medicine pharmacist. Correct. Like a tr- like trauma. Correct. Yeah. Like crazy stuff. So like yeah yeah so, all ER kind of stuff like strokes, STEMIs, trauma activations, all that kind of yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited to get into that. But before but before we kind of dive in there, let's let's tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, wh- like where are you from? Like tell me about you. Yeah. So I'm actually I'm from Orlando, Florida. I went to pharmacy school down down here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at Nova Southeastern University, and then um, I went to undergrad over at UCF before that. Um, after Orlando. pharmacy school, I did two years of residency. I did one year at um, Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York, and then I did another year in emergency medicine at The Ohio State University. The Ohio State the University. Ohio State. That's pretty cool. I, um, I got an interview there at that yeah. school. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't even go because I was already accepted to UF. Right. And um, it just like, I was like, I'm not going to, it was like cold, like, I, you know, like it was like in the winter and I'm yeah. just like, I had to pay for a ticket. I'm like, it's, I'm just not going to do it. It is cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, I'm just not going to do it. Um, so I didn't, I didn't end up going um, right, to, right. even to the interview. But, um, but I, I, um, I heard, I heard that school was like a really good school though. It's like one of the top farms. Yeah. This, this, the school is great. I had like some interaction with the school, but, um, most of my interaction was just with the residency program when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. So, um, so you went to, you did it two years in residency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. how was residency experience for you? It was great. Yeah. It was, uh, I was really fortunate to live in some, some pretty awesome places mm-hmm. and, um, the residency stuff was cool, but like where I live was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can, yeah. I so imagine. I got to move to Brooklyn and, yeah. uh, living in Brooklyn was amazing. And where I lived at and when I worked at Mimondi's medical center, mm-hmm. we saw a huge number of patients. I think we had greater than over a hundred thousand people that would come to the ER per year. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, a bulk of my experience there, like I, we, uh, got to staff inpatient we also staffed in the ER as well. Okay. Um, so it was a really invaluable experience I felt that I got there. And um, I heard Brooklyn was like Miami. Is that true? No. <laughs> okay. Because like I heard it was like, or at least the Miami of New York, kind of. Like, I don't know. I, okay. I heard there were some similarities in terms yeah. of like how Miami was versus how kind of Brooklyn was. Bro- Brooklyn in, was, for me, it was uh, was very, it was a lot more laid back than, than the city was. Okay. Uh, for sure. And I just love where we lived. We lived kind of like near... Um, uh, Brooklyn Heights area mm-hmm. and near like Dumbo is what they call it, like okay. down under the Manhattan Brooklyn overpass. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then um, it was just a surreal experience. Like I'd come home and then uh, we lived. Uh, our building was fifty-two floors, mm-hmm. I, but we lived on the seventh floor because it was a resident salary. And I pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I lived it's a struggle. In, I lived in a, a studio apartment that I paid like two thousand dollars per month for. Yeah, and it was literally a shoebox, and it was just my <laughs> my then fiance and I just staring at each other in the face while I was at home the whole time because there was like eating no space. cereal. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's hilarious. But like when you go on the fifty second floor, it was like a huge open terrace. You can see like the Statue of Liberty, and yeah. I would go up there and read and study or whatever I had to do for residency. Yeah, which wasn't often because I was just at the hospital yeah, a lot of yeah. the time, but. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. So what? So now, so we we you know we got out the way that you're an emergency pharmacist. What is? Do you have an exact title? Like, what is it that you do now? Um. So I'm a. My exact title is I'm a clinical hospital pharmacist in the emergency department. So okay. Kind of like an ER pharmacy specialist. ER like, pharmacy specialist. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So what is that like? What are you doing? Like, what is the day-to-day like? That's like, a great you, like, question. You so clock like, in at what time? Like, what is that day like for you? So, like, day-to-day, we come in uh, 12 to 1230. Uh-huh. I work uh, seven off, seven on, seven off with my partner and I. And um, so oh, we start seven at Seven on, seven off. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And um, for me, it's amazing now. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we start at 12. And then we and we work twelve hours, and the reason we start at twelve is because that's when we start seeing our our patient surge come in and start getting busier in the ER. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the time we pick to be down there. Yeah. Um, as far as a day to day, no day is exactly the same, and that's why I love doing what I do because it's so different. Yeah. Some days you can come in, and it's a complete like dumpster fire going on where it's just emergencies, and you're trying to like see who's the where you can make the most impact as the pharmacist. Yeah. And other days you come in and you're able to go in and, and more talk to patients, talk to them about their medications before they leave, you know, ensure that, hey, you know how to take your blood pressure medication and you know how to take, make sure you take this antibiotic for your infection and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that you like, what, what would you say that you probably love like the most about it? Just like that, um, that spectrum of disease states that, that we're able to partake mm-hmm. in. So a big part of being a, an ER pharmacist is just making sure, first of all, that the meds that patients are getting are safe for them. Yeah, that's probably like our our main job, I would say. But um, getting to be there and getting to interact with the team, like right at the bedside before medication is given, and getting to be in that discussion about what type of medications are going to be given yeah. to patients in these emergencies and acute states. Um, it's just something unbelievable. I love it. Yeah. And what would you probably say is like the hardest part? Would you say like about your, uh, about your position? The hardest part is, um, I would probably say having that, that knowledge right away that sometimes people want offhand, like right off the top of your head. And you just have to figure out how to triage, uh, the questions that you get. Cause you get so many questions in the emergency department mm-hmm. and say, okay, which one is most important? And then when you go there, okay, what kind of information do I need to look at to be able to provide an appropriate answer within that time frame? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how heavily are you dependent on kind of when you're there? It really just depends on the patient's presentation. So if I have someone who comes in who had, who comes in as a trauma alert that was a fall and they end up having a head bleed and they're on warfarin, I'm there to expedite that therapy and they'll call us right away for things like that. But we yeah. go to all the trauma activations and stuff anyway mm-hmm. for, for those types of things and they'll call us and say, hey, um, can we expedite using like the, can get the vitamin K ready, K center and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what I'm interested to know is like, do you have like a crazy story? Like, was there something that you're just like, they, like maybe without getting like the most graphic, but maybe right. like, was there anything that was like mind blowing that you were just like, wow, cannot believe this happened? 
Um, I have a couple. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a couple of those. Yeah. Um, when I first, probably when I first started, the, the traumas were, were probably the most mind-blowing for me coming, as a resident. Mm-hmm. And then some of like the, the medical stuff, like when I was a PGY1, we did a lot of like um, stroke alerts and STEMIs and stuff at, at, in Brooklyn. But in Ohio State, I started seeing a lot more traumas when I was an ER resident. So one of them was this guy was there is so Ohio State, um, their hospitals on their their college campus. Mm-hmm. So this uh, college uh, student was riding his bike with his headphones in, and they were doing construction. Oh and there is this big dump truck that terrible. was backing up, and he didn't look. It was like a blind spot for him, mm-hmm. and he had his earbuds in. So when he was riding his bike, he didn't see the dump truck coming. The dump truck ended up running over him. Oh, my God. And everyone was like, no, no, no. And the dump truck stopped and then pulled forward and, like, ran over him again. So that one I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. So when he came in, he had this, like, huge degloving injury and stuff. So stuff like that, like, I'll never forget. And then kind of, like, what was amazing to me was how, because as a resident, I was more awestruck at -hmm. the event that just happened. And seeing my preceptor at the time work and how efficiently she worked yeah. at getting that the patient their meds that she knows they needed. Yeah. Before the team even asked for him, like, okay, here's this is what we need to intubate, this is what we need for sedation, this is what we need for antibiotics, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now would you say I mean, because that was on that was in a residency, so that yeah. sounds like that was a very crazy experience. Now right. There's a, a, a lot of people are not happy with the fact that, you know, there's all these residencies that like sure. you have to do a residency and, you know, do I, there's like a PGY3 now. Would you say for your particular role right. that a residency is like absolutely like it was like 100% helpful and that needed? Or would you say that like it's something that you can probably, you know, you can probably go kind of right into it and kind of learn on the job and train on the job and be ready to go fairly quickly. Right. I think it depends on what your job description is and what's expected of you at the time. I think some ER jobs, they're, they're, they're more entitled to like doing medication reconciliation and getting those kinds of programs um, um, off the bat and kind of starting in the ER. And I think for something like that, you don't necessarily need like a PGY-1, PGY-2-4. Um, I like PGY-1, PGY-2 because uh, I just felt like more prepared going into the position that I went to first before mm-hmm. moving on uh, to Miami. And um, But there's, certain, I'm, there's a lot of people that didn't complete a PGY-1 or PGY-2 that went to emergency medicine they have, and they're able to learn that on-the-job training. So if, they, if you have like the hunger and the drive to learn, and kind of self-teach yourself. I don't think it's always necessary. Sometimes you're, you're in the right place at the right time. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the reason I asked that, too, is because I feel like, you know, I see positions open sometimes, like listings, that there'll be a position open. And right. I'm wondering if, you know, like, how would a pharmacist that, you know, maybe let's say a community pharmacist, like, you know, would they feel, like, how uncomfortable would they feel jumping into that role? Right, um, you right. Know, after practicing, you know, just being like even oncology. I think I've seen an oncology position posted and there was no like I mean, it was recommended that you had experience. But I think at, at some point they were just they, they were having trouble filling that spot. Right. And they probably would have just trained a pharmacist that, you know, right. like seemed that they were um, just competent enough to kind of just be into that training. So right. um, that's kind of why I wanted to see, you know, what, what that was like. There's definitely um, pharmacists that have completed PGR1, PGI2 training 
And a bulk of pharmacists do, and I do believe it's needed for um, uh, for huge trauma centers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so you can get, gain that experience, so you're not just like thrown in in the fire like right off the bat. But uh, and there's also great pharmacists that that didn't have that training. Yeah, and yeah. They have that that hunger to learn and hunger to practice it. And you have to have a certain personality to be in the ER to kind of like be around the crazy and not be phased by it when you are working there. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's uh, it sounds intense. I mean, like, what's the quality of life like? Um, you know, a lot of community pharmacists are complaining about their stresses of their job and, right. you know, just kind of saying that, um, you know, especially with pharmacies becoming more efficient with their hours and, you know, changing the way their labor matrix works and things like that. A lot of pharmacists are having an issue, I think, with their day-to-day quality of life. How would you say that is for someone, I guess, in your role or whether whether you maybe saw a difference of how it was in Ohio State right. um, doing residency or, I um, know, oh um, you did residency in New York, right, you said? Yeah. Yeah, yes. so whether it was like doing a residency in New York, um, like what, how have you seen maybe the quality of lives either differ from, um, be different from Miami um, or just in general in, your, in someone like your role? I think it's uh, just very different. Uh, one thing I learned to do is, um, or a, a great piece of advice that I got was, um, you don't have to say yes to everything, especially coming out of a residency. Mm-hmm. When you're a resident, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you, you kind of have to say yes to yeah. everything then. But um, when once you become, once you graduate from residency program, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where um, one person that I follow on social media a lot is uh, Nadia Awan, mm-hmm. and she does a lot, of, a ton of stuff in emergency medicine. Um, for social media and one thing that I've always looked and when she's had interviews and stuff that she said is it's um it's a marathon not a sprint Mm. so I always keep that in the back of my head and I I get really excited about projects so it really just depends on like how much you feel like you can take on and then how how you can manage those projects yeah and and I don't believe in um work-life balance was never a term I I uh, gelled with or melded well with. I believe in like work-life integration. Sometimes I kind of like when I go home, I'm just excited about something, so I'll keep reading about it. It's not necessarily work, but yeah. it's just more fulfilling You're for happy. me. Yeah. So yeah, when yeah. I get back to the when I get back to the ER, it's like, all right, I, I know this now. And this is what I read about. This is what we can do next time. Kind yeah. of deal. That's interesting, actually. I think the whole work-life balance thing is is an interesting conversation because. Um, you know, even with me, the way I the way I kind of got to where I did, I mean, I had to work a lot kind of outside of like my normal, you know, nine to nine um, life. But um, I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting thing to look at your your um, quality of life in um, in that sense where just say no to stuff. Yeah. Like just say no to stuff. Now, what about like the, the influx of like just maybe the patients and sure um, that workload? Yeah, so one thing um, that you have to learn, and it's uh, it's different for everyone how they learn it, is the ability to, to triage um, what kind of patients uh, you get in. Mm-hmm. So uh, if if I have like a let's say I have like five drug information questions, I have usually have a sheet of paper, and I'll write down all the questions, and then like a stroke alert will come in or a trauma will come in, and then like a STEMI happens. So that's kind of like my day to day is kind of that, mm-hmm. right? In, in a nutshell. So the, the basic things that I look at when I have those situations is, okay, so what's the acuity of the trauma? Mm-hmm. If I see something come in and it's just like, I, I can walk there, it's a motor vehicle crash, but the patient's up and they're talking to everybody and all the vital signs are stable, that'll take me like two to five minutes of my day, I'm done. Yeah. Then I can go to the stroke and I know at the stroke, 
that having the pharmacy presence there is a lot different depending on the type of stroke it is. So I'll kind of like more gravitate towards that area to see it it is an ischemic stroke. Are they in a time window for alteplase, that kind of thing? Yeah. Or is it a hemorrhagic stroke? Do we need to think about blood pressure and lowering options? Are they on an oral anticoagulant? Do we need to reverse that? That kind of stuff. So I, I gravitate to where I think I will make the biggest impact in the patient's care. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's almost like a time management. I mean, I mean, I feel like those are lessons even in like time management, just in general, in anything. Right. Um, but that was way more clinical that we've probably ever gone to <laughs> into on this podcast. So if that was intriguing for you, you might need to go check out the uh, Core Consult RX podcast because they're the clinical dudes over there. Yeah. So they'll be able to kind of uh, guide you in that sense because we don't we don't really go into much clinical stuff on this end here. Um, cool. Let me see. What else did I have on here? Oh, okay. So what, so let's say there's a pharmacist that's interested or or even a pharmacy student that's interested in like kind of just sharpening their sword with emergency medicine. What what resources would you say is like the best thing for them? I would say if you know, um, and a pharmacist in the ER to shadow them. Oh, okay. And that, that'd be a great resource to start. How, how, how? Yeah. And that's a, that's a, a, and I get questions like that, uh, on my Instagram all the time. So how do I, how do I get to, to your position? Like, how do we get there? Yeah. And even students on rotation, Ruben, how do we get to that position? And it's um, how I got to it is I took when I was going into my um, APPE rotations, I kind of had in my head. I was like, so what's going to scare the crap out of me when I'm like a pharmacist at a pharmacy school? Uh-huh. So I was like, um, emergency medicine. Uh, I would just like cry if like something at like somebody dropped dead in front of me. Like, what the hell do I do now? Yeah. So like I took that. I took a psych rotation. I took all the hardest rotations that all the students were like, don't ever take these. Yeah. I took all those. OK. And Makes then uh, and I just fell in love with emergency medicine mm-hmm. um, as and then like now it's like in our social media world, you can follow like these pharmacists and then you can kind of reach out to them and say, hey, what's your experience and that kind of thing. So I think that that's one of the big things is just being able to reach out and have that outgoing personality Mm -hmm. and then being able to, um, if you know, like, you know, there's a rotation of emergency medicine, try your hardest to take that rotation. Yeah. And And outside of that, they can't just walk in and be like, hey, man, can I shadow you? Like they they can, do that. I mean, you, you could email them and figure it out and yeah. say like for like a day, like I just, I did that with a student, uh, about two months ago. She just, okay. she was a pharmacy technician was like, do you mind if I shadow you? Like I'll come after work. And yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay. Interesting. Um, so technology is getting crazy. Like, you know, we just recently heard about the Apple watch and them being able to kind of take an an EKG from the wrist. Right. Like, so the, like healthcare is getting crazy. Technology is changing like crazy. How, like, let's just say there's unlimited technology or just things are like crazy advanced in the next 10 years. Right. How does the role of the emergency medicine pharmacist, um, or like, you know, the ER pharmacist, how does that kind of change? Right. I think, um, I w- I wish we could have like apps that would tell us just like a medication list. Because that adds so much more to the story mm-hmm. when, when you find someone that comes in and they're, you know, uptunded and don't yeah. know what's going on. And you get a blood sugar and the blood sugar is like 30. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like four or five, six hours later, like that patient's daughter or husband or aunt comes in and they're like, oh, here are their medication bottles. You're like, oh, my God, yeah. I was like seven hours ago. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. So, so I think I, I wish there was just like an... I'm sure there are apps like this. There's like an app that you can just scan all your med bottles and they just, it's kind of in there for you. Yeah. And it'd be easy to access that kind of stuff. Yeah. Interesting. 
or knowing like compliance too. Like uh, one thing we do in the ER is we follow up with like uh, urine cultures. Okay. So patients who are diagnosed with polynephritis or a UTI, um, once their culture comes back positive, because it takes like 48 to 72 hours for a culture to develop, um, we'll be able to see it if it's a bug drug match. And mm-hmm. if it's a mismatch, we'll call them and kind of facilitate getting yeah. a new prescription. But like if they were able to like have some kind of app that would let us know that they picked up their their new prescription already mm-hmm. and kind of let us know like and then like we can just inform them through the app. That'd be a lot more efficient. Something yeah, like yeah. that would be awesome. That's interesting. Yeah, that I mean, I mean, for every pharmacist, <laughs> that would be yeah. <laughs> ideal. Right. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. And what about like what's kind of you're on social media now. So you're seeing all the different types of things that are right. happening on, you know, in healthcare and. Um, like pill pack and Amazon and like all, all the things that like people are worried about and concerned about. What are you most like, what's interesting to you? Like what's the most interesting thing to you? Like how do you see things going kind of with pharmacy in the future? Beyond what our hopes and dreams are with these right. apps that you yeah. just invented. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think the, the big thing for a pharmacy feature is uh, connectivity. So I know any of the apps, but having that access to healthcare and then having pharmacists, um, that have like the will to take on more responsibility. So I know in the community, it's like you, it's like more things just get piled on you. So you, you mm-hmm. got to do the the flu vaccines, and then okay, let's give them more vaccines to do. And then on top of that, you have to do the scripts. And I think the um, the balance comes when you're able to integrate clinical work with, within what you're doing. And you had just posted up like the CVS pharmacists are a lot of prescribe oral contraceptives and that kind of thing. So actually being able to feel like you're managing your patients Mm -hmm. is like, and having that satisfaction, like having your patient come in and say, like you helped me and you adjusted their blood pressure medications or, or, or whatever that you're, you're allowed to do or allowed to do Mm -hmm. is a huge thing. I think that we can progress in the future and help with like this patient load that we're, we've been hearing about for years, even from pharmacy school that these baby boomers and stuff that are coming through that, we can have a handle in healthcare and be a huge part of it and yeah. not just be the, the, what we learned in school, the count slap, lick and stick kind of guys. Yeah. So let's just say I'm a pharmacist, um, which obviously I am, but let's say I'm a pharmacist that's out on the market and looking for, I, I did not do a residency, um, but I want to be, you know, I just, for some reason, the emergency medicine bug just hit me and th- right. that's what I want to do. Right. What are the steps that I need to take or, or what advice would you have for someone in that position for them to take, to start doing now to kind of get to your role, which I know it's not something that can happen in the blink of an eye. Right. Um, it's probably gonna take work, but like, what is it that they should do? So it would depend on and kind of see like how many years of experience you have at that point and what type of experience you have too. So if you have, if most of your experience is in the community, I'd probably say like, okay, um, would you reach out and go to mid-year and start looking at PGY-1 residencies Mm -hmm. and seeing what their requirements are? And then after you do that, because there's certainly certainly PGY-1s that come in from the community that do a PGY-1, they'll do a PGY-2, and now they're amazing clinical pharmacists in what they wanted to accomplish. Yeah. Where it's like if they want to do pediatric or hematology, oncology, Mm -hmm. or internal medicine, this definitely that. One of the big things is it takes time. Then that's one of the big things when I talk about with students and I'll say, well, like, that's like another year. And I know, and I, and I tell them like, it's going to suck because you're going to be on Instagram posting weekend warrior hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> and your buddy that sat next to you for four years of pharmacy school is like, yo, I'm on a boat. Yeah. You yeah. Know? The jerk. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Shout out to all you jerks. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, um, but um, it's going to take work. And I always tell them it's a year of your life. It's 12 months. Yeah. Like you can get out of your comfort zone for 12 months and then you can really figure out what you want to do. Especially if you think about that, it's going to be another, you know, 25, 30 years that you might be practicing in something. I mean, it's really a blink of an eye in that situation. Yeah. So. Um, so what else? What, what if what if they're in a situation they're like, you know what? I can't take that pay cut. You know, right. I, I need to support my family. Um, and my kids, and I got a mortgage, and things like that. What what do they do if if that's not the route that they right. just can't economically do? I think one thing is um, being able to find like a, a part time job, like in the hospital. Make sure you like it. Mm-hmm. There's another. There's one thing to have in your head that you're like, I want to do this. I want to do this. But when you actually get there, you're like, you know, maybe this wasn't for me. Yeah. Kind of deal. So make sure you like what what you're going into or what you're striving to become. If you did a student rotation in emergency medicine. And at the time, financially, you had to work. Um, you can find a way to go back and like, maybe I can go back and apply for uh, a position at a hospital and then kind of work my way through mm-hmm. and then see if you can work with that hospital, if you can work a certain amount of months as a regular pharmacist and then as a resident and kind of have an extended program. Because there are programs out there like that as well yeah. where you can go ahead and you're a staff pharmacist for like a month and then you can flip flop and have an extended program where instead of you completing your PGY one in a year, it might be two years, Yeah, but you're able to still integrate that in your life and you'll still have that goal achieved by the time you're done. Yeah. Cool. Well, I hope that someone got like a, just a tad bit more value um, from this episode. I know I sure learned a lot about your position and what you're doing and um, I'm, I'm happy that you were able to come and join me here. Now, before I let you go, though, can you just tell the listeners um, just where they can best find you or, or connect with you? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Instagram um, at the ED Traumacist. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's my old Twitter handle, so I'd appreciate if nobody laughs at it's it. Like it's like Sexy Stud yeah. 48. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's the people's Ruben. Yes, <laughs> so. all right, I like it. <laughs> nice. Absolutely. Cool, well, Ruben, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Hey, everyone. First of all, thank you so much uh, for being a listener, for being a subscriber, and taking in all the content that we're putting out. And, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms, uh, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, We're on all those. And until next time, see you over the counter.